For this morning's Bible study, we're going to be going to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, the last few verses. I trust you have some notes in front of you. They are basically asking the question, why are you so fearful? As we continue on with this series of the names of the sayings of Jesus Christ. I must admit that it is difficult at times to continue to just be preaching to an empty auditorium. It's just strange missing you folk, not being able to see your faces, and especially getting some of that feedback as we do ministry. So there's nervousness that's a little bit different than when we have uh, a full house of individuals. As well, it kind of gets weird around this building when there's not a lot of activity of people and it's just a limited number of staff. In fact, sometimes it gets rather scary around this place. Okay, so we got to come up with something funny at the end of the service. So I was thinking, what if I what if I hide in the pulpit, and then you bring your dad in, get him here, and then we'll we'll scare him. Like I'll, I'll jump out while I'll grab him from underneath. <laughs> yeah, and you'll jump out. Nice. Yeah, we can talk to him about the cameras. Um, yeah, transition between. Yeah, because we said we wanted to make sure that was a little more smooth. Yeah, yeah. sure, Clement. Let's see what right, we can do. jump out, right? Hey, why don't we switch this around? Why don't you get in here? Do you need help getting out? <laughs> yeah, why don't you get in there and I'll, okay. I'll go get your dad. Would you, you try to, you went in back first? Yeah. Yeah, you should. And we were going to ask John to do this. <laughs> All right, I'll go get your dad. I gotta back up though, right? So we can. Are you gonna walk him really close? I'll walk him. I'll walk him right. Yeah, I'll walk him really close next to the wall. Okay. Let me see how far back I can go. Is that good? Yeah, that'll work. Okay. Don't take a long time. All right, I won't. I'll go get him. Good. So what I need you to do is. Uh, I know. We want to make a transition. We're trying to figure out the transitions between the cameras. So if you can stand here at the pulpit, watching there. And then what I want you to do, the center camera. This one? Yeah. Okay. And then you're going to sort of trans... I think we got him. <laughs> Come on out. <laughs> Hi kids, it's Pastor Tony. Uh, you need to pray for me. We need to get back to regular services so that we can avoid those types of situations. This morning I want to talk to you about the time that Jesus scared his disciples. It's in Mark chapter 4. It's an instant that we've talked about before, but I really think that taking time and reflecting on this passage one more time is really appropriate at this time with a lot of what you are feeling at this point. In Mark chapter 4, the disciples are absolutely terrified. Let me catch the story, then we'll fill in the backgrounds. We're in Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 35. And the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. 
And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the back part of the ship, sleep on a pillow, and they awake him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus terrified the disciples in a good way. Let's set up the scene. The situation is Jesus has been extremely busy. This is one of his busiest days of ministry. If you back up and read chapter 3 all the way up through chapter 4. It came to a point that after he had been healing a number of people. That Jesus started teaching a large multitude of people. And it kept on expanding to the point that he got into a boat. Went a little bit offshore and started preaching from the boat. It is during this time that he told multiple of these, you know, these very famous parables. That talk about faith and expressing faith faith and what, what uh, in individuals and the believers and had to do and how they were to be serving him and the Father and what heaven was going to be like. So Jesus is busy, miracles, teaching. It's a long day. It's been an exhausting point. And at the end of the day, he says to the disciples, let's set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They were going to go further down shore. And as they get into the boat, it's the evening time, and they're sailing at night. And as we just read, others are following. This isn't the only boat with Jesus and the others. There are others who are going to follow Jesus and he just can't get away from the multitudes. Even when he's trying to seek some peace and some rest from the crowds, there's a number of the crowd who are following him. And as they get into the boat, Jesus falls asleep. Now he had to be exhausted. In his humanity, he is so exhausted that he doesn't even wake up when they're in the middle of that huge storm. He sleeps through the first part of it. And so what happens is all of a sudden this storm comes and the wording that is used in both Matthew and here in Mark give the indication this is an unusual storm. The idea this is like a hurricane force winds. Matthew talks about it like it's a seismos and erupting of the waves almost like volcanic earthquake type individual where there's all of a sudden these large walls of water that are coming against him. And these experiencing, experienced fishermen, they are strong struggling to handle the boat and the boat is being swamped. As we read already in the text where it makes the comment that the ship is now full of this water and so they're terrified. They're extremely afraid of what's happening from this storm out in the sea. So they wake Jesus up and they ask him when they speak to him they say and the way that the wording of the original language is is more of a question with a positive, but still a doubt. You do care about us, don't you? You, you, you know, Jesus got to do something. We're in trouble here. And so what happens, Jesus stands up, as we already read, he rebukes the storm. Same word <coughs> that is used when he cast out the demons. Be muzzled. He rebuked them. So he says to the storm, be muzzled. Stop making any noise. Stop doing anything whatsoever. And immediately... And uh, the other accounts make it very clear. This is just absolute suddenly. 
immediately everything ceases. A great calm. There's not even that ripple effect or the wind dying down. It is instantaneous that all of a sudden things change. And that's when he turns to the disciples and he says, why are you so fearful? And then he says, how is it you have no faith? Interesting he uses that phrase. How is it you have no faith? They've had faith. They've been following him. What he's referring to is something more, as we'll get into in a moment. He says, why is it that you have no faith? It is at this moment that the passage says, now they are exceedingly fearful. There's an intensity to their fear. Why is it? Why is it that the storm scared them, but all of a sudden, Jesus and what he did terrified him? And there's that idea of this is a heightened fear, much more than what they had before. Why is that? Why do you think that all of a sudden they are terrified standing in the presence of Jesus Christ? Now, let me make an observation for you. This is not going to be the last time that they are terrified. This heightened fear is, is, is going to come again. And it, interesting, it comes at two other occasions when Jesus does something phenomenal and great. It happens when there's the transfiguration. And it happens after the resurrection when they see him. Those are two other occasions where he does something that is phenomenal, miraculous, just beyond their conception. And both times they respond like they did this time with a, with a terrified fear, with an intense fear. And so you have that happening and it could be that they are still getting to know Jesus here in this early phase. That they think he is phenomenal, they think he is great, and all of a sudden he is doing something that is even beyond their comprehension, beyond their expectation. And so at this point, he is much more than what they thought. It could be that. It could be that idea that some have suggested that all of a sudden here they are, and they see this person with this phenomenal power and abilities, and he's somewhat disappointed. He's, he rebukes them. He, 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 he has turned to them and just said, I, you know, why is it you have no faith? Could they be reacting to purely from a human point of view that says, oh, he's disappointed with us. What might he do to us? This one with all this power, with all this authority. Or could it be simply the fact that for them, they are understanding more and more they're standing in the presence of God. Where the Psalms talk about he controls the winds, he controls the waves. And it's more and more impacting them that he is divine, that he is deity. And just like their ancestors of old, after they saw the parting of the Red Sea, it talks about how after that miracle, they feared the Lord in a whole new heightened anticipation and expectation of this is somebody far greater. That idea that when people get into the presence of God, all of a sudden they are just terrified. Even his angels, who only carry a little bit of the semblance of his greatness, that people fall down as dead because they think divinity, divine, heavenly. Is that what's going on? Very likely it could be. But the fact of the matter is that they all of a sudden were really, really terrified. Can I make some observations before we get into how this applies to you and me? In this sense, believers are not exempt from trials. We know that. We understand that. That's expressed throughout scriptures. These believers were not exempt from the trial going across at Jesus' bidding. All of a sudden they face this storm. Believers often 
experience fear and trepidation in trials. We know that. We, we are encouraged not to be fearful. And yet 125 times Jesus is speaking and he's talking uh, in his imperatives of that 125, 25 specifically say, stop fearing. Do not fear. And most of those are to believers who their initial response to something that is happening that has caught them off guard, some trial, some event, is basically one of fear and apprehension. So you and I battle with that. You and I will face struggles. And the fact of the matter is, even though we may be hearing lessons on faith, even though we hear those disciples heard parable after parable and teaching and much exposition that happened throughout that day and possibly the day before, then all of a sudden Jesus is saying, okay, let's see if you really learned the lesson. And the fact of it is that oftentimes we learn more by the experience than just an explanation. We, we, we pick up more than just listening how to ride a bike, but actually getting on the bike and, and pedaling and falling down and learning how to keep our balance. So too, trials are often the moments where we learn the most, not out of the book, but out of the life experience. Let's make another observation. God uses these trials to build our faith to build our faith in particular in the believer's life. You see, our greatest struggles aren't always on the exterior. The storms, the events, the illnesses, the COVID, the, all of a sudden the job loss or the difficulty or the isolation. Usually our biggest struggles are not on what happens on the outside, but what's on the inside. The inside of us where do we really have that faith? Do we really have that trust? Do we really have... And so he puts us in these stretching experiences externally to build up our inner faith, our inner confidence. In fact, if we can challenge ourselves by looking at the passage where he says, why is it you have no faith? They have already believed on him. They have already expressed that they are following as disciples. They have already already showing saving faith. So what's he mean? How is it you have no faith? It is the idea you have no resting faith. You have no trusting faith. You have the, the faith that says, you know, no matter what happens, I will trust in you. And so in this case, he's trying to build them up and to expand their faith from just getting saved to the point where they are being serene in the middle of trials. That's some of you and me. We've expressed that. We've gotten saved. We've asked Christ to be our Savior, but all of a sudden in illness, in challenges, in death, in moments where we can't be like we normally are, all of a sudden then we're stressed out. Do we have that serene faith, that resting faith in the middle of stressful situations. That's what he's trying to build. That's the faith that he's trying to move them to. Can we make another observation? Unfortunately, in the midst of trials, we often initially seek to work things out on our own before we run to Jesus Christ. That's, that's clearly in this text. That, he, that they are uh, getting the boat full. He's asleep. There's a period of time from the beginning of the storm until the boat, boat is almost swamped that these individuals apparently are trying to work it out themselves before they wake up Jesus Christ. That their initial reaction as fishermen is to be able to do what fishermen do. Handle the boat in the middle of the waters of the Sea of Galilee. In the middle of a storm. Challenging, but we're fishermen. We 
we're experienced. We can do this. Jesus, you just rest on. I'll take care of things until I get really, really in a lot of trouble. Which is true that we often pray and turn to Christ only after things get really, really bad. I wonder what would have happened if at the very beginning of the storm they would have said, Lord, please, please come to our aid at this point. But instead, things have to get really, really bad before they pray to Jesus Christ. Which, unfortunately and shamefully, that is the way a lot of us react. We get into a trial and we try to figure it out ourselves. And Lord, you just you know, be there just in case I need you. But you know, help me to handle this. And so Jesus Christ is trying to build the confidence and the trust factor of these disciples And we understand that even when we turn to Christ, there are times that we still turn to him with some doubts. You do care, don't you, Lord? You know, I'm turning to you to help me out in our our financial situation, and I really hope you do. I hope you care enough to help me out. I, I really hope you'll help me out and give me the strength and the serenity to see through this isolation. Lord, I, I, I think you care about me, uh, I know you said it, but you know, hopefully you care enough that you're going to be able to give me wisdom on how to train the kids in this one situation, handle this conflict. And so oftentimes we try to do it in our own strength. Oftentimes we don't pray right away until we get into a panic. And oftentimes we, when we do turn to the Lord, there's that doubt that could be there that intensifies some of that apprehension. So we look at the story and we make another observation. Jesus often lets storms rage until we exhaust ourselves. We come to the end of ourselves. You see, he has to break down our self-confidence, um, our, our determination to do it on our own. And so he, he breaks us down sometimes through these trials where we say, okay, we have to totally rely upon the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, we're like the fishermen, that we don't turn right away. We rely upon ourselves more than we rely upon him. And so Jesus at times will keep us in these trials, will keep us into these troubles, will keep us to help build our patience, to help build our trust in our serenity, to help us to, to stop being so active and so self-determined and, and confident in what we can do and just say, okay, it's got to be of the Lord. It's got to be the work of the Lord. I don't know. I struggle with that. I'm sure you do too. And so these disciples give me some challenging examples that say, okay, why is Jesus allowing things to happen the way they do in my life? What lesson does he want me to learn? What, what should I do to grow in that faith? And that brings us to this idea. How to quickly build our faith. How to help us to grow. What, what should I do? to build a greater faith in Jesus Christ. Can I give you some refrigerator note material? Give you something that you may want to write down and put on a, on a three by five card. Put it in your phone and have a, have a reminder a couple times a day, the alarm to ring to say, hey, read it again. Just simple, four significant phrases that will help you to build your faith day by day. That you can go to the fridge and read and just build your confidence this week. Build your trust. Build your resting faith. Your serene faith in Christ. Keep these four thoughts in mind. Number one is this. That remind yourself that in God's will there are storms. 
Just like in this case. They're in the will of God. Let's go to the other side, he says. And yet, in the middle of being in the will of God, you're going to go through trials. And so it's not something that, from the point of God, that, that it's something he didn't plan. He knows trials come. He can allow them to come. He can make trials that occur in our life that are sudden, that are severe. Trials that can scare us to pro- knock out the props from underneath us. It doesn't mean God is mad at us. It doesn't mean that he's upset with us. These trials don't catch God off guard. They don't surprise him. In fact, these trials are often a part of his curriculum to building our faith, to schooling us. So keep in mind this most important thought, that in God's will there are storms. And so you and I, as we go through COVID, you, who some of you with job loss, some of you with health challenges, some of you with isolation challenges, some of you with different challenges at different times and, and with, the, with the schooling and the changes and what are you going to do now that you graduated and all of a sudden the economy isn't flowing like it was flowing and what are you going to do for your job and you know, what's, gonna, what's next? Listen, in God's will there are storms. And God can be using these storms for your benefit. Secondly, in God's world, he is sovereign. In God's world, he is sovereign. Keep this in mind. Mark it in your phone. Bring it up a couple times a day. God, in God's world, he is sovereign. Nature completely submits to him very clearly. The, the, one of the great, great influences in the life of the individuals back then, as in our life, is nature is how it impacts our daily schedules, how it can change things. And yet God is in total control. He makes it very clear to these disciples that at his word, nature will do whatever he wants immediately. I was out for my daily walk the other day, and I saw that a child was crossing the street to their neighbors, and the mother was saying to the child, come back, come back, don't cross the street. And this little two or three-year-old got off, got off the sidewalk, started crossing, and all of a sudden the mother used what mothers often use, the full name the entire middle name or names, and that child stopped. That child turned, looked at mom, could tell by the voice and by the names that mom was calling that mom was really serious, and still the child hesitated. The child thought it through until the mom said a second time the expanded name, and with greater firmness in the voice, you get back here right now. But nature doesn't hesitate. Nature doesn't think about it. Nature responds immediately. When God says, be still, it was still. Our God is an amazing God. He is one that in this text, along with this this whole story, Mark develops this idea of how powerful God is, how in control God is. You look just through the next uh, few verses. You watch the chapter unfold. In the next chapter, the stories unfold. God has power over nature seen in this story storm that, that story of the storm. Then you see in the next section, section, God has power even over the demons where he comes to the maniac of Gadara, cast out that legion of demons that have to do what he bids them to do. Then the next story that comes right on its heels is God is able to take care of illnesses in individuals, even one who has 12 years of an infirmity that all the doctors were exhausted and could not cure. And then the ultimate is as he goes into that home of that official and raises the child, God has power over death. There is this this, uh, ascending stories of God having power 
over that which is on the outside to that which is in the outside, the inside, all the way to the ultimate, the ultimate show, display of power, and that is overcoming death. Our master, our Jesus, is amazing. He is all-powerful. Any situation he can handle, any trial, any trouble, no matter what you're feeling, facing, no matter how great that discouragement or that challenge before you, he can work. No matter even that individual you're sharing the gospel with, he is all-powerful. He can break even the hardest of hearts. The Lord is absolutely amazing. Let's remind ourselves, in God's will, there are storms. In God's world, he is sovereign. Let, let's take another thought here that, that you want to put on the fridge. In God's word, there is security. In God's word, there is security. What I mean by that is this. Let's go back to the Old Testament. And let's remind ourselves of the character of Joseph. Joseph is a young boy, and all of a sudden he's betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. How is it that he's able, when he gets down there and starts working in the Potiphar's home, how is it that he's able to maintain somewhat of his integrity without being bitter and angry at everybody around? And he becomes a reliable servant, not just a rebel with a spirit of hatred towards everyone. How is it that even when he's betrayed by Potiphar's wife and he's put into prison, that he doesn't display uh, a lack of caring for anybody else, but instead he even administers to the baker and the butler. How is it that he maintains his integrity when they, or the one, forgets him before Pharaoh, and when he comes into the place of, of being prominent, he isn't a reckless, a cruel, vindictive leader? What is it? that kept him going, that kept him maintaining his personal integrity in the middle of all of his trials. I remind you one little tidbit of a revelation. He was given a dream as a lad that one day his brothers and his parents would bow down before him. That's, that's the only tidbit of revelation he had, that there was a plan later on, and he had yet to see the fulfillment of that plan. Abraham is told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, 12 years old, to 16, we don't know. But he takes the boy, takes him up upon the mount, even says to the servant, we shall return. What is it that as he raises the knife, ready to plunge it in the son, son's chest, what is it that he is relying upon, that he is putting faith in to go through this act of even sacrifice? Do you remember the promise that God made? Not only that he would have a son, because the idea he could have other sons, but it was specifically stated, I will bless Sarah. I will bless her. She shall have a son. So even though he had, uh, he had already uh, son Ishmael, he is realizing that this boy from Sarah's womb is the special significant one. And God said that there's going to be nations descending from this child. One little tidbit of scripture, of revelation, a promise of God that kept him sane during this most challenging moment. What is it that helped the Apostle Paul? That the Apostle Paul, in the midst of preaching and being accused, attacked, in the middle of the preaching, what is it that when he was stoned at Lystra, got him to get up again and go back into the city and continue ministry on those missionary trips? What is it that kept him going? 
when all of a sudden he sh- suffered shipwreck and then imprisonment for an ex- extended period of time, he was told, you shall bear my name before kings. And that is yet to be fulfilled. And so he has these tidbits, these little amounts, but they are potent amounts. Jesus says to his disciples, he said to them, let us pass to the other side. Not me alone, let all of us go to the other side. It wasn't much, but it was enough. We have pranksters on staff. You saw that at the beginning of this sermon. I'm not the only victim to their pranks. They were joking about it just this week. That when they were together with one of the former staff members, that they went out the supper and they started showing how they could eat that wasabi. Little bit of it, but hum, just to get the other person to say, hey, what is that? What it's like? And when they got Micah to think how good it that this was something good, they got him to take a large bite of the wasabi all at once. Just to see his eyes turn red and his face and everything a little bit. It was strong enough without taking that big wad. The same thing is true. Little tidbits of Scripture are enough to carry us through. So you and I should probably this week write down some of those singular promises, those little statements that will carry us through. Maybe the singular statement is a reminder that he will never leave us or never forsake us, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess, that our God will supply all our needs. Maybe you need to write down, I can do all things through Christ when you're trying to change or overcome some type of a attitude or speech uh, issue. Knock and it shall be open when you're seeking to pray. Maybe you as a parent need to be reminded that if you train up your child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart. Maybe you need to remind yourself that God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able and with the situation make a way of escape. Write down your tidbit, your little bit of the wasabi from God that is powerful enough to give you the strength and the stamina to continue on. You need to remember that in God's In God's uh, will, there are storms. In God's world, he is sovereign. In God's word, there is security. In God's work, you are significant. Think about this. They said to him, don't you care? Don't you care? You do care, don't you? Was literally the way they said it. Implication is, Lord, what about us? Uh, is Is there compassion for us at this moment? And we know We know without a doubt that Jesus cared for these disciples. We know that Jesus was was working on their behalf. But why did he put them in this situation? Why did he put them there where they were going to be terrified, where they were going to come to an end of themselves? There's um, an illustration I want to share with you that's back a number of years ago when the Russians started that whole idea of getting their cosmonauts up into the space area and being up there for an extended period of time. One of their first, uh, their first two, I shouldn't say one of them, but the first two cosmonauts that went up stayed up for a period of 211 days. Problem was when they came back, because they were in a gravity-free area when they were in space, they couldn't even walk for the first few weeks. And then it took several weeks after that before they were able to get back to the point where their muscles were able to sustain them and get back to normal usage. So when they sent up another cosmonaut to stay for 326 days, he, when he was done with that time, he came back and his, his experience 
was not as restrictive. He maintained his muscular tone. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, a victim of atrophy. It's because they changed the spacesuit. They put into the suit all kinds of resistance and elasticity that all, when he would move his arm, he had to, even in gravity, gravity zero, there was some resistance that would require him to maintain that muscle. God puts us into situations where there's going to be resistance to build us, to help us to be strengthened. God cares so much for you. He allows you to be in those situations that are challenging and hard for you to build your faith. You are significant to him in the fact that that he is putting you through trials 101. That's a good thing. That's not that he doesn't care. It's because he really cares for you. Remember, they had faith to follow Jesus. They had already left their incomes, left their boats, saying, gone traveling with him. But he's challenging them to find out what happens when things get tough. Because they were going to get tougher as time goes by. He's challenging them when they're out of their comfort zone. When they as fishermen are in a storm that they can't battle through. He wanted them to grow. He wanted them to learn to turn to him quickly and quicker than what they would have done. And so Jesus is working in their behalf to bring them beyond saving faith to serene, resting faith. Faith that would trust him instead of themselves. God's concerned about you. He wants you to go through situations and difficulties to build you. You may want to have a life of ease. You may want to have a constant comfort. You may want everything to return to normal. But God in his, in his wisdom knows what will help you and me to grow. Here's one for us. We have probably come to a point where we have taken for granted Christian fellowship. Well, God has put us in a trial to help us to grow, to be more grateful than ever before for that fellowship that we will experience. And when we get opportunity to experience, by His grace, we won't hesitate from enjoying it and taking advantage of it. God's building our faith. God's building our, our, our confidence in Him, our appreciation for Him, our turning to Him, our prayerfulness. Take away a lot of the busyness of what we would normally do and just say, minister to the Word. Several of you have been commenting and say, written and responded in calls and in notes saying, this has been one of your most um, spectacular periods of growth because it's forced you to get into the Bible and to slow down like never before. Do you think God made a mistake? God knew what we needed to help us to draw close to Him. And we're in, we're in trial 101. I hope that all of you are learning that same lesson. Instead of being upset about this situation and being, being uh, stressed out by it, turn to Him. Go to Him. Spend more time in prayer and study of the Word of God and get closer to Him. Take advantage of this less busy moment to build your faith, your confidence, your fellowship with Him. You are significant. In fact, remember that there are other trials ahead for these disciples. There's another storm coming up, a storm when he's not even going to be with them in the boat. And so he's building them for other situations. I don't know if there's going to be another pandemic as far as in our lifetime or in the time we're still left on earth. But I do know this. God is using this to build us for future challenges. Learn, grow, trust, Pray, remain close to him. Robert Scriven, or Joseph Scriven, was an individual that, that we sing his song regularly, but he went through some great trials, some real difficulties. 
When he was there in Ireland as a young man, he was engaged to a beautiful young woman. He had plans to be able to do some type of ministry and he was wrapping up his schooling and he was going to get married and the day before they were to get married they were out on horseback and they were crossing over a river that they thought was frozen but it wasn't completely frozen. The horse and she fell in and it was deep enough that his fiancée died the day before. He was absolutely devastated. In order to redo his life and to move forward, he, he immigrated from Ireland to Canada with the idea that he would find some group, people group, some individual town where he could minister. And he developed a ministry and helping out some poor and needy individuals. And he developed a relationship with a gal here in Canada. And after a while, he and Eliza came to the point that they were engaged. But just weeks before they were to be married, she came down with a fever, and within days, she passed away as well. He determined that he would live a bachelor's life, but serve the Lord to the best of his abilities, and trust the Lord, and rely upon the Lord, though he was heartbroken. Three years later, he gets word that his mother is seriously ill, so in order to encourage her, he wrote a poem. The poem that is now our song. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend to turn and give him all the griefs to bear. Turning to him in prayer. He was living a life of serenity in the midst of his trials. Turning to the Lord. Is that you? Is that what you're doing? Is you're trusting the Lord without anger, without upsetness. You're maintaining a testimony and an attitude of trying to worship, trying to witness in the middle of the difficult time by maintaining your trust, your confidence, so others can see a peace in your mind and your spirit that they want as well. That'll happen if you help build your faith. If you are as an individual, be one of those folk who says, okay, I'm going to remember this day by day. That in God's will there are storms. In his world he is sovereign. In his work I'm significant. That God is for me, not against me. You know, you can't overcome the trials. Do you remember me sharing with you the story of what happened there in the early of the 1900s where there had been an expedition of British climbers that had tried to scale Mount Everest. They didn't. They didn't succeed. Then a second group of them tried it a little bit later. Some of those same party. And they tried it in 1924, but all of a sudden, in the midst of their endeavor, a storm came. Two of their team were lost. The others looked for them, but never found them. They held a memorial service when they got back to Britain. And in that memorial service, one of those men speaking said these words about Mount Everest as they turned and they had this huge picture there on the wall of that mountain during the service. He made this comment. Everest, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you a second time, but you were too much for us. But Everest, I want you to know that we are going to conquer you. And he went on and made these, this comment. For you can't grow any bigger, but we can. My friend, your Everest can't get bigger, but you can. You can grow in faith if you remember that in God's will there are storms. In God's world, he is sovereign. In God's word, there is security. In God's working, you are significant. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Father, I pray, help us not just to talk about it, 
but help us to walk it. A faith, a life of calmness and serenity in the midst of trials. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word and its simplicity. Help to build us in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.